It's bad ink, Jam, but not as we know it. This is bad This is Bashcast, episode number... One, seven, two. It is 13 minutes to 12pm on Friday, the 28th of May, 2021. Coming up in this afternoon's Bashcast, we discuss the Stamford experiments and how they apply to the landlady in my local pub. Uh, this Bashcast is all going to be about me, because I've been making some money, and I'm just shamelessly going to be telling exactly what I've done. So we're going to be talking about golf doubles, we're going to be talking DDHH, we're going to be talking coupons, we're going to be talking Lucky 15, we're going to be talking me... And in the last part of the Bashcast, we're going to be talking something that I have very little experience of. And that's Bitcoin. All of that and more coming up in this afternoon's Bashcast. Ah! Hello again. I hope you're well. I had some time off. Just because got a lot going on, so I had some time off. Didn't mean to actually have a month off, it just ended up like that. Various reasons that aren't important, but we're back now. We'll try, well, I'll try and make it regular. I got into like once a week for four weeks before, but then somehow a month passed without not doing more. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Although I did, I had that AstraZeneca vaccine. That seemed to knock me for six. I had it at Edgebaston Cricket Ground and got knocked for six. I was dying after that. Got it at like three in the afternoon. And I felt fine. But I know my sister felt very ill. And a lot of my buddies felt very ill. Um and I got to bedtime, you know, for me, quarter past eight PM. Um and I was like, ah oh, I think I've I've got away with this. I woke up with sweat at three in the morning, couldn't sleep, fever, and that was me done for about two days. I was actually, I was halfway through a bash cast when I had the AstraZeneca vaccine. So you can blame the coronavirus because I had to cancel that episode because I did half of it. And now, if I just released it now, none of it's current because a week goes by and it no longer makes any sense what I'm talking about. I spent way too long making this bed as well. <laughs> Do you like it? I like it. All feedback to gfy at gfy.co.uk. 
Sunday, it's not Sunday, it's Friday lunchtime. European tour's an interesting one. Made in Himmeland, which is the weirdest name for a golf club. Round one was catastrophic for me. I had nobody in the top 20. And after round two, I've got four people in the top seven, including John Axelson, who I think is 250 to one and in my doubles. Welcome to the golf. But it's been an excellent round two, don't you love it? I love it when I see a sea of green up arrows on my starred leaderboard on the golf thing. Viesberg has shot out with a four-stroke lead, but I've seen this before recently. People shoot out after 36 holes with a four-shot lead. It's so difficult to hold on to that, you know what I mean? We'll have some more golf in a bit, we'll do it properly. In the meantime, though, well, things are getting better. Society's slowly reopening. It's about time as well. It's late May. You might be asking, Tom, what about that incredible weight loss challenge you set yourself? I haven't stopped thinking about it and I need to know how it's going. Well, that's right. The end of lockdown. And I know it was the 8th of May because the end of lockdown was when the schools reopened. I had put on... Two and a half stone over the winter months. I have no idea how that happened. I mean, uh, over lockdown, uh, especially December, January, February, I wasn't able to work. The gyms were closed. Uh, my daughter was at home, which meant, and she's five, so I couldn't go running because she's too young to be by herself. So I couldn't work out. I couldn't go running. Um, and um, uh, it was dark, it was cold, I couldn't work, so I sort of descended into a period of uh, drinking wine every day uh, and millionaire shortcake, like every single night, or shortbread uh, with some, you know, Cadbury's chocolate crisps. Specifically, you know the really cheap onion ring crisps in the green packet that are 25p? They are the nuts. You get these posh crisps for a pound, which is like... Uh, you know, snail and caviar flavoured uh, with crinkle cut. And they're nowhere near as good as the 25p onion rings, which have a lasting flavour that, you know, uh, they sort of cement that coating of the onion ring coating into the top of the roof of your mouth. Uh, so I was having those for lunch, the millionaire shortbread for tea, wine every night, put on two and a half stone. No idea how I did it. So, uh, look, if you if you need to lose some weight, here's it's totally mathematical. And I come at this from an experience of, um, um, so I've, I've both been extremely fit and extremely fat at various points in my life. Sort of uh, a, a bit of trial and error figured out how you get from one to the other. Um, so simple mathematics, 7,700 uh, calories in a kilogram, right? So I need to lose 17 kilograms, so I need to lose 17 uh, times 7,700, 50-odd thousand calories, right? That's the deficit that I need. It sold a lie through the 80s and the 90s and the, the noughties from people saying you have to eat this food instead of this food and ketosis diets and this and that. And that's all, it's, it all boils down. Follow the right people who know what they're talking about. I like this guy, James Smith, on Facebook, who's a trainer, no-nonsense talking trainer. It's real simple, right? 
find your calorie def work out how much you need to sustain yourself which incidentally during lockdown during winter months when i'm not moving and i'm not exercising is like um uh, not very many calories for me maybe two thousand a day but if you're very active it could be three and a half four thousand you know it's all about is your neat up mine isn't i'm terrible for the neat you know you how much calories you just expend you normally on a day i sit in front of the computer way too long um or in front of the tv watching the sport um i'm quite jealous of people that walk around loads and are active and everything like that i need to do a little bit more of it so work out what it is so maybe mine's 2000 calories a day so i need a deficit and if i can have a deficit of a thousand calories a day it's gonna take me 140 150 days and one to wait 140 150 days i'm extremely impatient um so we i did two things I did one, I did an extreme version of a fast, which is 500 calories a day, which isn't a lot, but it's very achievable. Uh, zero or 500. Um, uh, some days I just couldn't do the zero all the way through, but zero is quite easy some of the time. Um, 500. For the, for the 500 to work for me, I need wine in there because I need something to look forward to, and I'm a raging alky as well. So um, we have uh, two glasses of wine at 88.3 calories each at the end of the day, leaving me with about 320 calories that I can consume of food, which is a piece of fish and some vegetables possibly, uh, and a green salad. Um, uh, so you do that five, six days a week and then have one day where you you know, don't worry too much because, again, got to have something to look forward to. And then in terms of um, uh, expending more calories, got a Peloton. Oh, my day, that thing is fun. Uh, it really is fun. Um, I, I was advised to get one by uh, Mr. Pete from SBC who said that he had one, but I was thinking of getting one anyway after seeing um, Westwood and Lee, not Tim, being interviewed on the European tour. And they were saying, how did he get through um, lockdown? He said, well, he bought a Peloton and uh, McElroy's got one and a load of the other golfers have got one. And they all just challenge themselves for um, how much output they can get on the Peloton in any given class. I thought, well, that's quite cool. You know, I, I, I could get into that. I've never really done cycling or spin classes or anything like that, but it looks fun. So I bought the Peloton uh, and then it arrived. I've done the gym up in the garage and they've got the classes on there and it couldn't be more fun. I literally, just before the Bashcast started, um, did a UK garage class. Uh, is it is it wicked? And it was wicked. Um, my only issue with it is being a man-child, uh, a grown physical man with the maturity and self-control of a small child. Um, I've gone from never really doing any cycling in my entire life, never really doing any spin classes in my entire life, to doing an hour and a half to two hours every single day, day after day after day. And of course, I've ruined all the tendons in my left uh, leg and my ankle because I'm not fit enough for that. I'm not trained enough for that. And also, I don't do rest days. Um, yeah, there's a certain addiction to it with the music and um, the classes, and I just can't recommend it enough. And uh, it's a very, very easy way of getting my calories up um over the day you know what i mean it's like so i'm i'm now way up past the 3000 mark do that do a few weights um afterwards go for some runs uh and now when i'm uh, uh eating 500 or 1000 calories a day smashing all of the peloton and everything like that the weight just flew off two and a half stone since um the 8th of march it's easy um so there you go what wasn't easy was Going to my local 
Bob recently. What a segue that is. And I'll tell you why. Um, so we've moved house and we have a pub literally across the road from us, which is fantastic news because we used to be quite a little bit of a walk from the pub. Um, so it was a few days and I can get the pub Wi-Fi in my house. And we need, I needed to celebrate with my brother-in-law, Hill Street Blues going by. By the way, in the new house, we're right next to a hospital. And frequently, these ambulances go by on the way to the hospital. And this is just going to be a feature of the Bashcast from now on. There's going to be uh, these uh, sirens. Um, we'll all live with it. Um, if you are drinking whilst listening to the Bashcast, which I do recommend, uh, you have to take a large drink, a large sip. Every time you hear one of the sirens, that's the rule. And if you don't do that, you can't listen anymore. You've got to stop. So I went over to the pub. Uh, It was cause for celebration because me and my brother-in-law had thought that we had uh, destroyed the electricity in the house and needed a whole rewiring after blowing something up uh, at an estimated cost of 15 grand. And then we found out it was just a fuse. So it went from a cost of 15 grand to 15p. And that, that meant that we had to celebrate. So we took my two children, two and five years old, over the road to the pub. Hadn't been there in there yet. Um, went in and I went, hello, neighbours. I've just moved in across the road. I can get your Wi-Fi from my office. I wonder if I can get my Wi-Fi, the Wi-Fi, the lads network. Can we get that from the pub? Sort of, an, you know, I'm, 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 I'm walking in, I'm engaging, I'm saying that I'm a neighbour to the lady wearing a face visor behind a plastic screen behind the bar. And she turned to me. I couldn't see if she was smiling or not because of the layers of perspex between me and her. And she said, everybody over the age of 16 has to fill in the track and trace form. Uh, uh, Somebody will see you to your designated table where you need to stay uh, for uh, your duration in the pub. It is table service only. You may only come back into the pub if you go into the toilet. Okay, right. Thank you very much. Nice to meet you, neighbour, as well. So, okay, I mean, she's a little bit nervous from the old coronavirus. We went over to the table. We ordered our drinks. My five-year-old daughter says um, she needs to go to the toilet. So I get up and I walk her to the toilet. And this is she's five. Bear in mind she's five. It's important. It's critically important to this story. And we go into the pub. And I, I give her the option because she's getting a little bit old and sometimes she likes to stay with me and sometimes she likes to use the ladies' toilets because she's turning into a, a girl with her independence and she doesn't want to always go into the minging men's toilets with the urinals and everything like that. So I say, which one do you want to use today, Sasha? And she has a think about it. She says, today I'm going to use the ladies' toilets. And I went, okay, well, listen, I'm going to be stood by the door and I'm not going anywhere, right? And I'm going to be shouting out regularly so you can hear my voice so you don't have to be scared. So you just go and do what you need to do, and uh, I'll be waiting right here for you. And she goes into the ladies' toilets, um, and I stand by the door, and I see the landlady spy me. She hadn't noticed that I was there. She spied me over by the toilet door, waiting there, and she shouts over, uh, excuse me, like this. And she was interrupted by her own member of staff, a 19-year-old girl. And the girl says, um, oh, don't tell him off. He's just there waiting for his daughter, to which the landlady barked at the 19-year-old girl. Um, well, he shouldn't be waiting inside. I mean, what? She'd obviously either not registered how young my daughter was, or she didn't care. But it was an interesting use of language. 
I mean, this lady has almost completely lost the plot because she was told not to tell me off. Like, she'd already pretty much told me off when I had walked in and tried to start a conversation. And she dismissed me, even though I was a neighbour. And then I'm stood by the toilets waiting for my daughter and she wants to tell me off like she's telling off her staff and other customers. She's just got into a situation where she's telling people off. I, I'm sorry if she's terrified about the coronavirus um, and it coming into her pub um but it's not the way to engage with your customers as a publican because i'm not going to go back there it's the least welcoming pub despite the fact it's just across the road from me have you heard of the stamford experiments right because this is exactly what has happened here to this lady um, the Stanford Experiment, Stanford University in about 1970, 1972, 1974, something like that. There was a psychologist there who wanted to come up with a social psychology experiment um, to sort of investigate the effects of perceived power. Um, and to do this, they said to the students, you know, we'll pay you, I don't know, the equivalent of in today money, £50 a day or something like that. And we'll take 20 of you. And we're going to put you in the bottom floor in the basement of the psychology building of Stanford University for two weeks. And half of you are going to be prisoners and half of you are going to be guards, just randomly allocated like that. Uh, And we're going to have a mock prison. And there's going to be mattresses for the prisoners to sleep on. And there's going to be food and water. And the guards cannot withhold food and water from the prisoners, but they could take the mattresses away and they were given permission to apply any psychological torture techniques that they deemed necessary. And the experiment started and after just a few days, the guards just started becoming unbelievably cruel. And it got to a point that after four or five days of the experiment, it had to be called off because of the outrageous cruelty of the prison guards towards the prisoners. And it was this perceived level of power that went to their head. And some people have this. And I think we're seeing this a little bit post-coronavirus, where society isn't as friendly as it was before. And people are slightly losing their minds. And the sooner we return to normal, the better. Um, It's time, I think to take back a little bit of control. And these measures where you have to walk in and socially distance and wear a mask, and wear a mask outside, some people are saying. You know, I'm a staunch believer. I've, I've, I've read a few things saying masks are very good at keeping bacteria out, but not viruses. And I wear one in public places inside really just because of some people's anxiety now. Um, but I'm not going to wear one outside. You have to go and pick the kids up from the playground outside. And there's no benefit in wearing a mask outside, and no one could possibly argue that there is. And it's time to just start taking them off, I think. I mean, I am not an epidemiologist. I am the opposite of a key worker. And what I say should have zero influence on this subject to anyone else. But from my perspective, and about me... I think it's about time that we stopped the nonsense of social distancing and mask wearing. When you look at the numbers of people who are getting ill, 
the more important thing is that we all stop being cruel prison guards to each other and start showing a little bit of kindness. Shops reopened sometime around about the 10th of April. Disclaimer here, if you get annoyed at the thought that I come across or think of myself as some sort of betting god, this little section is really going to irritate you. Probably just best tuning out because I am just going to talk about me. And I'm going to talk about me because I've been making money. I have been making some pretty reasonable money. Um... Five figures profit, um, quite well into it as well. Um, there are some people um, who sort of regularly, and I hope most people that paid a subscription to Bookie Bashing would sort of be making in the region of four figures a month um, to sort of justify that um, that subscription cost. Um, I, I know that there are some people making five figures a month. I know that there are some people making five figures in a weekend, to tell you the truth. Um um, but I'm more of the, the month sort of time frame. And sometimes, a lot of the time it's four figures and sometimes it's negative. Recently it's been five. Um, I know there are some people making six figures. Um, uh, uh, and that's just how it is. D- different people bet at different levels. Different people have different bankrolls. Um, I haven't ever made six figures in a single month, calendar month. But we're going to come, we're going to talk about it. I was pretty damn close i was one position away in a horse race from doing that um recently but um shops reopened on the 10th of april uh, the first thing that happened um was we were hitting the golf back in the shops again which is lovely because uh, it's sort of easier to get on easier to have higher liability and um it was the weekend in mid-april or the beginning of april um, Stuart Sink was in the RBC Heritage I think that's what the tournament was it was, it was six weeks ago um, and on the European Tour we had a playoff now the thing about Stuart Sink in the RBC Heritage is he was 125 to 1 and after three rounds, he was like 100 shots ahead and he never looked like not winning in his late 40s. And so that was the easiest 125 to 1 winner in the entire world. And then in the European Tour event, the exact event, oh, it was in Austria, so it was the uh, Austrian Open. Um, we had John Catlin at 60 to 1. And we also had... Maximilian Kiefer at 110 to 1. And those two guys ended up being in a um, playoff against each other. So we've got the playoff, and they're against each other, and we can't lose. Well, I can't lose, which is just brilliant. I mean, I've been in, I don't know, a number of playoffs before. I've never had both guys in the playoff, and I've run extremely hot in a playoff because you you want to assume a playoff is a coin flip. I've won way more than I've lost. Um, but to have both guys in there was really happy. I, I had a little bit of waiting of money on um, Kiefer, Maximilian Kiefer. So John Catlin winning, if you like, cost me a little bit. But um, 
Um, that was a decent double. What I didn't have on that weekend was actually any doubles. I frequently have uh, doubles between the European Tour and the PGA tournaments. Obviously, in a big major like the US PGA is on, you can't get any doubles down. But um, if I can filter the tracker and find um, six either plus EV guys in a tournament or even, you know, four plus EV and two 98, 99%, that'd be okay. As long as the other tournament has got all of them plus EV because the negative EV ones that are near 100% are being carried by the, the double, by the multiple. So I'll, my sort of preference is take six from one tournament, six from the other tournament, and then go in the shop and place three pound each way doubles. Why three pound each way? Well, three pound each way, that's six pounds a bet. You've got six in one tournament and six in another tournament, that's 36 bets, that's 216 pounds. Much more than that, um, um, it starts to get into PTL ter territory. Um, uh, but not only that, um, at Betfred they have a max payout limit of £50,000. And um, if you take 100 to one guy and another 100 to one guy, and they both happen to win, that's 10,000 to one. You've got £3 each way on it. You wouldn't want £5 each way, and it's because um, you're not going to get the full payout. Paddy Power, larger payouts, it's not so much of a problem. But that's sort of the region that I've found some comfort in. And so you got the six each way bets on one tournament and six each way bets on another tournament. And a single double of the place, so a guy finishing fourth and a guy finishing third, is often enough to show profit at the prices that we're betting at, because we're not betting on the favourites. If it was the two favourites you bet on, and they both finished in the places, you wouldn't cover the whole um, £216. But, um, you know, a couple of mid-50 to 1 guys do it. And so the variance is quite low, although the full bust is more than possible. But the trade-off in that is that that 10,000 to 1, 100,000 uh, 100, to 1, 200,000 um, payout is out there. And I'm I'm determined to hit it. And had I been on, and I just wasn't on them this week, this particular weekend, the Austrian Open and the RBC Heritage. Had I been, that was six thousand to one between um between Catlin and Stuart Sink. Um, I'm going to use the systems bet calculator. Shameless advertising of that. What a tool it is, though. Pick up the doubles. So uh, selections, just two, hundred and twenty-six. And 61 each way. Yes, three pound on that. That would return 20, that would have returned 24,072 pounds. I've been on every week since. Of course I have. <laughs> because I'm just, I'm like, okay, you missed one, you missed the double. But um, um, I'm hoping that another one lands relatively soon for that. I just want to walk in. What's the, what's the tip, by the way? If, you, if, you're, usually, if you're used to paying 1% to the cashier, then we're in a slight amount of danger. We've got to start thinking about tipping an unreasonably large amount of money. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where is my notes here? There's a nice write-up over um, over SBC, who independently proof our golf and our horse racing. Um, and there's a diary, a guy that writes a diary. He like follows all the tipsters. And of course, so we don't come across as a tipster site because we're trackers and tools. 
because um, tipsters kind of all the information is with them and we would rather have advantage players where all the information is with you. But at the same time, there is the absolute need of um, of independent proofing and to get independent proofing, the only real way, you can't just send a tracker, you have to sort of have a short list from the tracker. Uh, so we send over, it's super important to make sure that everything that we're saying, we're saying this tracker is good, don't just take our word for it, have a look at the independent review. So on this particular week, um, uh, Rowan follows um, three tipsters, um, PGA Profit, Golf Insider, and ourselves uh, under weekly golf value. I do seem, to, by the way, every week to tip, well, not just more volume than anyone else. I think everyone else does three, four, a tournament, and I'm like eight. But if you look at who they're tipping, you know, I saw somebody saying the one, two, and three in Made in Denmark, which was like McIntyre, Schwab, and somebody else, Wiesberger, they will... Um, um, they're tipping them. I was like, okay, you're tipping the one, two, and three in the market. Couldn't I just open up the market and see who was one, two, and three and just bet on that? that to me, doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't seem too skilled. This isn't any of the tipsters on SBC, by the way. I'm not getting into tipster wars. Um, but I, I'm like on the 100 to 1 guys, right? So I can have 10 100 to 1 guys, which is exactly the same as one ten to 1 guy in terms of um, probability of field coverage. But it just looks like I'm betting a load more but literally in terms of staking i am relative to my bankroll but we've again something we've looked at is this golf staking and bookie bashing it, it, it we worked it out as being a sort of optimal level of staking with a chance of busting your bankroll if you're ever betting at a at a size where busting your bankroll is going to cause you pain then you're betting wrong that's what you, all bankrolls should be bustable anyway rowan writes after this week and this is shameless picking this up but he says, um, golf, the most extraordinary tipping I've ever seen. I've been betting properly for what must be nigh on 12, 13 years, and never before have I seen one service produce the likes of what weekly golf value produced this week. Seriously, I still can't believe what happened. Two golfing tournaments, two winners. On the US Tour, the winner, Stuart Sink, powered into a big lead after three rounds and ended up winning without any real scare. I had taken 1,000 to 1 instead of the advised 125s, but how many 100 to 1 shots have you backed that ended up winning the horse race by the equivalent of about 10 lengths? But not only that... Um, Chris Kirk ended up in the places for a healthy return of 60 to 1. However, what preceded was the winner of the European Tour event, John Catlin. For this one, I was able to get my stig on at 50. So not only was this a winner, but to win the tournament, Catlin had to win a playoff against another weekly golf value pick, Maximilian Kiefer, who had backed at 110 to 1. I mean, what? Exclamation mark. With the third golfer finishing in the frame in Austria, the total profit for weekly golf value exceeded even the wildest of expectations. The only problem is, as I explained to a good mate of mine who is also into his golf betting, I'm now mentally preparing myself for a drastic losing run. There's absolutely no good reason for there to be one right now, but the thing about this game is you can never relax. A weekly golf value, 2,000 bankroll. Actually, I advised 1,000. He doubled it. Um staked 2,581 points at plus 1,928.81 points, ROI 74.73%, return on capital 96%, uh, drawdown zero, um, max drawdown 93.25. Uh, there's been a few weeks since there. I can't remember if we're up or down since then. It feels like a little bit like flat, um, which is obviously very fine when you, you have these huge ROI weeks. Uh, drink. So, um, 
the golf was extremely good, and uh, I'm, I'm waiting for one of these doubles to come in. So we we start with that. We got the golf. Then I was looking at the DDHH specifically. Well, not just DDHH. I'm doing first goal scorer on the exchanges. And I've been hitting loads of them. Actually, I went through a period of having like eight second goal scorers in ten games, which is starting to get a little bit annoying. But um, um, what I'm doing here, and I'm sharing a little bit of the analytics, and I've talked about it before, so I'm just looking at the anytime goal score, which is slightly more liquid. Um, I'm looking for um, players that steam down because the people really hitting money on those and bringing the price down, they, they, they must be slightly smarter. Um, and then I'm using that delta change information in the first goal scorer market for two reasons. I get a, I like having a higher price. I prefer betting it, you know, five to one than I do at evens. And also it means I can watch the game. And if my guy hasn't scored first, I can literally turn it off and forget about it. You know what I mean? Or even if my guy has scored first, I can turn it off and forget about it. So that's the first one. And I've just been hitting first goal scorers on the exchange. And it always helps with markets having 0%. I kind of like, if the markets um, exchanges are completely efficient, which these secondary markets aren't, but if they were, then any bet at a 0%, uh, you're not going to win or lose over the long run. So it's almost like you can bet with free abandon. It should be used for experimentation as far as I'm concerned. Um, and I think we'll all rue the take a day in the future where the 0% isn't available and we will rue that we didn't take more opportunity of it than we did at the time. Newcastle also were playing Spurs um, uh, in mid-April. Um, and looking at DDHH, my favourite concession in a shop uh, at Betfred, um, my buddy's going over, he's saying, who should we bet on? And I said, well, we can forget about Kane and Son uh, without even looking at the market, we can forget about Kane and Son. And I think this was an evening kickoff. I think it was 8 p.m. And he was asking at like 9 in the morning. So there's not going to be any liquidity in um, the exchanges to look at. You just know Kane and Son are going to be priced uh, super competitively to the point of being negative EV. It's almost like, you know, you can tell from the game as well. Like tomorrow, the Champions League, I'm not even going to look at it because I just know that there isn't going to be anybody that's going to be good value in it. You're much better off looking at the Brentford Championship game tomorrow than you are looking at the Champions League final for DDHH value. Um, and I just sort of said to him, well, it'll either be St. Maximan um, or Joe Linton, sort of jokingly because I'm a Toon supporter, but also because that's where the value is more likely to be. Um, and the, for Joe Linton, there was like, I don't know, £10 sitting at 13.0. And then I had a look at Odds Checker. And Fred's top price at 11 to 1. Now, I know that's 11 to 1, 12.0, and he's 13.0 in the exchange. But what is that information telling you in the exchange? It's telling you the square root of nothing. Um, perhaps there's even someone that's seen that Fred is uh, 11 to 1 and just stuck in a £10 at a point over. But even if it isn't that, there's just no reason to think that that £10 back no lay means anything or provides any information. It doesn't. Um... If it was liquid with a lot of money at the back end of the lay or there had been some movement or trading or a last price match, then you can draw some information from that. I'm not drawing any information from £10 sitting at a single price. Even if the price is 15.0, I'm not taking any inf uh, notice of it. But what he is, is he's two points higher than anyone else. The uh, second top price was 9 to 1. And so I'm like, oh, okay, Jalinton's not starting then, is he? Because Fred does this. He sometimes pushes himself out of top price on either people that... Um, 
um, are injured or even are going to start on the subs bench and then you end up with a terrible value bet if it comes on at nil-nil after 70 minutes. So um, have a look at it uh, on whoscored.com, which is my favourite resource for looking at predicted lineups um, uh, games later in the day. And there is Joe Linton and St. Maximan predicted to start as the front two strikers for Newcastle United. And there's Fred at 11-1, to 1, top price by you know, two points over the next one. Nothing at the exchange. I'm, like, I'm having that. I'm having 11 to 1. 100 pounds on it. Please, buddy of mine. Of course, Jolinton scores first in the 28th minute to set up 65 minutes of hoping that he gets a second one in the game. Um, uh, unfortunately, he didn't. He, although Willock did, and then Willock scored in seven games in a row, which is a lot of fun for Willock. Um, uh, so we've also had a couple of the GSOs and the great sports. Actually, to be fair, there's been more off. There's been more value in the great sports offers coupons than there has been on the actual GSOs, which are difficult sometimes. Whenever PTL to twenty five quid at evens, Jesus, Croesus, William Hill. But there was a day um, PSG uh, and Marseille both to lead at twenty minutes was ten to one, and they'd steamed in. They weren't any more than seven to one fair odds, and that one came in. Bayern, Dortmund, Real, and Atletico Madrid all to win, and over two goals in each game. There was a goal fest in. Um, in Germany on the last day, which allowed um, which allowed a lot of bets to win, that was another eleven to one that came in, um, which was pretty decent. Now having a look at the coupons, the football coupons, they have for me been doing what coupon football coupons do over a period of a month, maybe a little bit longer, maybe a month and a week, is that they have been a lot of. Break even, double your money, bust, break even, double your money, bust, tread and water, doing nothing, tread and water, doing nothing, hanging around, nearly winning, not winning, tread and water. You know what I mean. It's like, and yeah, there's effort involved. So you go into the shop, you're getting the money down. They're quite good fun to watch, especially as if you've th- the first three are winners and then nothing else wins or something like that. But you've set yourself up with an opportunity to put yourself in a pretty decent. I mean, these latter games are just fun to watch. You know what I mean? We've got the, the pushers in the seventh heaven, which have match odds have been um, have been um, uh, well. There haven't been as many coupons released by Fred recently, and we're coming into the summer months, which is why we're sort of extending out, looking at coupons that can't be opt. So team to win an over one goal, team to win an over two goals, and I, there's only an exchange market in the in the high uh, most primary of games, and now that the season's over, those have gone, uh, and even then they're not that liquid which means that the arbors aren't hitting them, which means that the value hangs around for longer. And this is the secret. I know there's coupons for BTTS, but it's liquid and the arbors kill it. So there's no value there. Anything you can play singles on, anything that you can arb, don't touch it. So we're looking at the team to win an over one goal, team to win an over two goals, match odds and BTTS for that reason. And then the exception of the pushers coupon is you have to place trebles on it. So you, it's much harder to arb when you have to place trebles. Um... And we're looking at Independence, William Hill, and um, Betfred because they tend to have value. Now, when I say they have value, I'm looking at the coupon tracker. Uh, yesterday is an example. Three plus EV bets, and then three between 95 and 100. So I placed a seven-team bet there. The top one was Havidor, um, who in team to win an over 2.5, with 3.4 to back, we calculated it from first principles, from exchange lines, as 2.85. That's a massive bet, 3.4, 2.85, and we're compounding it under other bets. It's the reason why we're putting 
98, 97, 96% bets in is because we're compounding it into that, I don't know what it is, 150% or 140% EV bet at the top and we're coming out with a plus EV multiple. So let's just run with it. Let's get as many of these Havido multiples out as we can. Also, anything 95, 96, 97%, it's steamed in from 91. It started life at 91. It's now 95. I know it's under the exchange price. I know. And if you live your life by saying the exchange life, the exchange price is the single most important threshold and anything under it is negative EV and anything over it is plus EV, then good for you. This isn't the game for you. Whereas I choose to have a little bit of optimism where I'm saying it started at 91, it's now 95. I know it's still 5% below the exchange. And if you just go to the exchange on a 0% exchange as well, you could be getting a better price in it. But I also know it's steamed in that 4%. And that's over the long run, over the collective, over a group of bets, that's intelligent, smart money. So we're going to use that information. We're going to place the multiples. And then we go to the counters. One or two is going to be cut. So we could either be super price sensitive and say, no, if there's a cut, I'm not taking it and walk away. Or we can accept that over the long run, we might have a bad coupon or two. We might have a bad price. We might have a bad coupon. We might have two bad coupons. But as long as we keep on finding these Havidors who are 3.4, 2.9 and placing them in multiples, they pay for the times it's bad. And then we can just focus on volume because volume is the most important thing. And even with all that volume... I was break even, make a little W money bust. Break even, make a little W money bust. And then um, we hit um, um, uh, a really decent run. A uh, thousand here, two thousand here. There was one, um, was it the last day of the season? It was the last day of the season. It was a two year old's birthday party. Uh, and um, it's always good fun at a two year old's birthday party where dad's just in the corner looking at his phone, watching the full time results come on. Um, but it was. Um, Three or more goals and team to win. Brentford, who beat Bournemouth uh, 3-1. Sunderland, who beat Lincoln 2-1. Over in Germany, which was just a massive goal fest. Bayern, who beat Augsburg 5-2. In fact, there was only two teams that didn't score out of the 10 in Germany that day. Uh, Dortmund, who beat Bayer Leverkusen 3-1. Uh, Eintracht Frankfurt, who beat Freiburg 3-1. Uh, and Hoffenheim, who beat Hertha Berlin 2-1. I mean, an M a match odds and BTTS coupon would have been pretty decent on that. And, you know, there were some 1-4 to four odds in there, uh, the Bayern was, uh, but there's also some 9-4 to four and stuff like that. And um, what was more extraordinary wasn't the payout. It was £175 on that, because trying to stay a little bit below the £200 PTL at William Hill. So 30, uh, seven teams, 35 trebles. Five pounds of travels, one hundred and seventy-five pounds. It just works. It's quite easy. Um, not the largest payout I've ever had in my entire life. It was two thousand seven hundred eighty-seven pounds and sixty pence back from that one hundred and seventy-five pounds. What was more extraordinary is that the odds of all seven teams winning was five hundred to one, and that doesn't happen very often. It was about four hundred ninety-nine to one. Um, so uh, just an amazing sequence of events and a nice way to finish the season. So we've been. Um, Smashing it in the shops. Um, and that takes us to Sunday. Bloody Sunday. Uh, edit squirrel here. Um, uh, apologies to any offence to my Northern Ireland buddies. So uh, it was Sunday the 26th of May. <laughs> Sorry, couldn't see what the date was. Um Walked into Bedford. I was up at um, I was up at my folks' house. I hadn't been to my folks' house in like a year. 
um, so the grandkids get to see the grandparents. And as usual, just like before, like a two-year-old's birthday party and something, you know, pretty cool is happening and all of a sudden I can't focus on being a two-year-old or being at a birthday party. And um, this is a lucky 15. Um, excuse me whilst I'm just a little bit vague on the exact on the exact details because, you know, this could be reverse-backed. So um, it was at a bookmaker. The bookmaker offers various concessions on Lucky 15s that make it a lot more easier to get on and more valuable. And you don't need four 100% EV horses anymore. You can go into the 90s because the concessions, anything if there's just a winner and you get a bonus, it's really good. It's really good EV, I promise you. And slightly worse EV from the um, yeah, multiplied, um, uh, sorry, a bonus on top if you get them all. If you get them all, uh, 2.40, we start the day with a 10 to 1 winner. And then we move on to an 11 to 2 winner. And then we move on to an 11 to 1 winner from the third horse. And we have here a £3 lucky 15. Um, so the last horse is Tropical Cyclone. Now, okay, Tropical Cyclone is 50 to 1. Uh, he's in the 435 at Red Car, possibly the least, like, sorry, not Red Car, Ripon. He's at the um, four, 435 in Ripon, and um, possibly the least, you know, important horse race of the day. One mile, one furlong, 170 yards. Only seven runners, uh, so that'll be two places. Um, the place is worth many several thousand pounds right but that's not what i'm interested in i'm interested in the win the win's worth 218 thousand pounds so there i am catching up with my mum and dad first time every of us have seen each other for a year there's the kids they're getting to see the grandparents and all of a sudden like, and i'm just now going to go into the spare room and watch the 4.35 at Ripon. Sorry, nice to see you. Nice to see you, Mum. Now, look, Tropical Cyclone was 50 to 1. Uh, so he wasn't going to win the race more than one time out of 50. In fact, went off 66 to 1. There was a bit of a drift in Wifty. Um, it was an odd race. You had um, 11 to 10 and 10 to 11 favourites. There's your 100% book. And then you had um, sort of 11 to 1, 66 to 1, 80 to 1, 150, 150 to 1. Um, however, over the one mile, one furlong, 170 yards, Tropical Cyclone was actually leading Franny Norton. And you're starting to dream. You're starting to think, £218,000. That'd be all right. Now, we were talking before, what is the what is the 1% tip uh, on, a, on a golf double? Well, what, I'll tell you what, a 1% tip to the cashier when you're walking out with £218,000 in a leather bag... Uh, it's £21,800. That cashier will be doing okay. I don't think... I think there's got to be a, a sort of a cap. I think it, like a year's wages is probably a little bit too much of a tip. The point of tipping is that you are... Um, you're, you, you get on side with the shop staff. 
Um, shop staff are incentivized to report upwards, people routinely collecting a lot of money. It was really a way of catching out arbors. Um, uh, however, um, and arbors, by the way, don't tip because they're betting at such slim margins. It's very difficult for them to give a, a five or a ten pounds from a hundred pound win because that eats up their entire profit margin that they made in the bet. Arbors don't tip, but value bears do. And when you have a big win, you should always be doing it because the staff are less incentive to advise, even though you've got the eye in the sky and everything like that. Not necessarily saying you should tip £21,800 when you pick up just shy of a quarter of a million. But I don't know what it would be. It would Maybe a couple of grand, maybe a 0.1%. It sounds, it sounds pretty mean tipping 0.1%, but I think a couple of grand would be about right. It's not like you're going to avoid attention, by the way. There's no benefit um, now other than your you know altruism. Um, to tipping because Fred is going to know and if you're going to get slammed I mean one of two things is going to happen either he's going to try and use you for internal press look at this guy who came in and placed four horses and they won and he won a quarter of a million or and possibly more likely he's going to turn around and go yeah I'm looking at these horses in these races you're not going to be used for marketing you're just never going to bet with us ever again but here's your £218,000 and off into the distance we sell so, and then the other thing is, like, can I ask for it in cash? I don't think so, but it would be nice just to walk in and say, yeah, I'd like this in cash. <laughs> You'd be pretty nervous not to lose the bet slip, though, between the end of the horse race. Um, I'm walking into Betfred. So, regardless, um, we watch the race, and Tropical Cyclone finishes in dead l- second place. That's unbelievable. It would be better if he'd finished last. Um, even if he finished last and not placed, it was a several thousand pound win. Um, the 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 actual second place pushed it to many thousands of pounds. But oh my days! Like um, okay, okay, he was twelve lengths off first. I mean, it wasn't a nose. I don't think I could have handled a nose. To tell you the truth, I would have dropped dead on the spot. Um, I have never won six figures in a month. Um, uh, and so to get second place at the four thirty five at Ripon was um, pretty extraordinary. Um, and I'm still waiting, uh, uh, hopefully not waiting for too much longer. How much fun is this game? Though? That horse racing tracker is smashing it. Um, there's a lot of people saying that, the, you know, over 500,000, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 bets, they're running at about 110, 120, 130% return on investment. Officially, our recorded results on the site are 104, 105%. Um, one of the reasons there as well, there's, there's a number of things going on. We can't claim BOG um, on our results, but a lot of people do on their accounts. We can't, and this is probably most importantly, our results, We it's really difficult to know what multiple would be played, and it would be supercilious of us to assume a winning uh, double when another one lost, and there's so many permutations that just assuming what doubles could be, or multiples, or trebles, or Yankees, or Lucky 15s, or whatever, would be being placed with our horses doesn't work there's, it's too much open to interpretation there's no way for us to accurately do it you, we could do it and then someone could i could very easily argue well why have you included that one and not that one what, what about this permutation and it's too much open to difficulties so the only way we can report the horse racing tracker is singles and if the horse racing tracker is returning a profit using singles then it will be returning a traffic using a higher profit using multiples and the more horses you put in multiples the higher the ROI so we're at 104 to 107% it dropped down to 104 and then we apply, we introduced the BB algorithm and 
it's actually growing again from 104 it's past 105 it's come up to 106 i think 107 was the best it was ever at but with the tracker returning singles at 104 to 107 percent that's allowing people to see 120 130 140 percent on an extremely large um range of um uh, multiples so it's just smashing it the golf tracker is just smashing it the 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 one tracker that was going through uh, an extended period of low variance was the combination spec tracker that's actually pulled out of it and it started making money since it, it, it got hammered in uh, late december january february and a bit of march where just the corners and the action the cards and the goals dried up but they started coming back with the reintroduction of crowds surprisingly and now they're all making um, um it's slowly making a profit and it's digging itself out of a hole it might take a whole year for that to dig itself out of the hole that it was at, but it's it's heading in the right direction. Um, the darts tracker last night, the shops Betfred um, had um, James Wade priced up at thirty three to one to have the most one eighties last night um, on Thursday night. Um, so we don't estimate one eighties ourselves. We don't price these up. I mean, you could get a database and do it, and I admire the people that do, and I think there's a huge edge there if you do do that. But we've always said we're not. We, we don't work out the over two point five odds. We don't work out the number one eighties, the XG or anything like that. We use what is established and out there ourselves, and so we take the one eighties and we build up. Um, we build up what we think the player one eighties are used by the traders, and from that we could just see that everyone was tending to overprice. Um, Wade to get the most one eighties drink, um, using a skellum distribution, which is you know. Imagine you've got four players, right? So you say, what are the odds of all three of them getting zero and Wade getting one? So that's the odds of him winning with one 180. Now, what's the odds of everyone getting zero or one and Wade getting two? That's the odds of him winning with two. And you sort of do that upwards and you add it all up and the skeleton distribution returns the probability. And everyone was priced up really high. Ladbrokes and Coral were 40 to one. We were 27. Loads of bookmakers, including the shops, were 33 to one. We were 27. And so the first matchup last night... Um, Wade throws seven one eighties, and the average, the X one eighties for each match was about seven to eight. So he's thrown the same as a single player as most were predicted to do in the whole match. And the very last match, which was um from memory, was it Vandenberg versus Clayton? I was on Clayton to win, but Vandenberg was getting the one eighties. He got to six with two two legs to go. I was like, don't steal my money. Don't it's like what one one eighty would be a dead heat. And then two 180s, the bet loses. So it was close, but uh, Vandenberg didn't get the um, the seventh 180. He finished with six, and it brought in a winner uh, for 33-1 to one for James Wade to have the most 180s in the session. So the darts have been smashing the ROI, and everything's going really well. Am I blowing my own trumpet? I am. I told you at the beginning of this segment, this was all about me, because I've been making some money, so making some Benjamins, and tonight... We are supersizing those Big Mac meals. By the way, uh, 1,012 calories in a Big Mac meal, so we're not supersizing anything, are we? Ah! Now, finish this week. Um, just with a look at cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Dogecoin. Before I do that, there's a story from the beginning that I was talk talking about the people losing their minds. I just want to share another one, people losing their mind. 
Um, when I had my big double uh, a few weeks ago, uh, I took my son over to Solly Hull. There's some nice art galleries out there. We did a few contemporary art galleries because I wanted to um, spend some money on a nice painting for the living room. Because those things, by the way, you're spending money on them. They might be worth quite a lot of money, but they don't actually devalue. Um, so I see it as just having the, the same amount that's in my markets account or bank account from the win from the golf. So it's still there. It's just in the form of the painting that I bought. The painting, incidentally, is one of um, Tweety Pie, Sylvester, Garfield, and a few other cats doing some, some naughty things. It's got a fantastic picture to put over the fire. So I bought that, and I'm heading back to the car. Um, and I get my son in the car. And my son's two, so he's got one of those child seats that's a complete and utter faff that he fights and kicks and doesn't want to be in. And it's just a, it's the most unpleasant 30 seconds of the day getting him strapped into that seat. And then I realise my heart sinks, oh, God, I've, um, I've forgotten to pay for parking. So I decide I'm going to not get him out of the car, but leave him in the car and lock it. Run over to the machines. I'll only be... 20 seconds, I'll put the ticket in the machine, I'll pay for parking, it, it won't be a problem. So uh, I lock him in the car, I run over to the lifts, and there's no pain machines on this floor. And so leaving my two-year-old in the car for 10 seconds is going to turn into a little bit longer. And, you know, don't leave two-year-olds in the car, just don't do that. But um, I'm like, right, okay, and I bound down the stairs to the floor below. And I see on the stairs, it says, um, one way only. But I, I, I'm a little bit confused looking at it because I'm not quite sure how the way up is because the lifts are one person at a time and there's a queue of 93 old women and, incidentally, younger people who shouldn't be using lifts. They should get your knees up. And I'm pretty sure they don't mean that you, you should be using the lift one by one because it's one person in a lift as well or one family or one household, Right. But if, if the only other way is like through John Lewis and the other side of the car park, it'd take eight minutes to walk around. It's ridiculous. So I go to the machine and I pay and I'm like, well, I'm just obviously going to just bound back up the stairs. And as I bound up the stairs, so I'm 43, but I come across like I'm five because I'm wearing shorts. I'm wearing a T-shirt with a load of funky colours on it. And I'm wearing a mask and a backwards baseball cap, right? So you can't actually tell whether I'm 43 or maybe maybe 23 or something like that. And coming down the stairs is a 60s man wearing a mask. And he sees me bounding up and he sees the big letters that say one way only. And he starts crossing his arms, like, like waving them and making an X. And going, no, 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 it's one way only. And I was like, well... My son's just upstairs. As I, so I didn't stop sort of striding up the stairs two by two. And I went to pass him. And the guy shoulder barges me into the concrete wall. And I'm like, what? You really, I mean, you obviously care so much about social distancing and coronavirus that you're willing to physically come in contact with me to stop me from bounding up the stairs. And then this... I think I don't any parents listening might understand this. This primeval 
evolutionary rage took over me. I'm a really calm person. I don't get mad or angry. But what had happened here is that this gentleman had separated me from my child and he was issuing... I mean, he didn't know he had, but that doesn't matter. He physically had. And he was issuing orders that I had to be further separated from my child. And I got really mad. I got really angry about, you know, the safety of Ewan and so on and so forth. And I think I may have done a split nanosecond trade-off of all the different options ahead of me. I could have explained to him more clearly, because I'd already said it once, that my... I'd said my son was upstairs. I hadn't stipulated he was two, so this guy could have thought he was 18, but whatever. I could have re more reasoned him about how young my son was and how urgent it was that I got back to him, you know, as soon as possible. Um, I could perhaps have engaged into conversation about the stickers on the floor are just guidance and common sense has to has to take over or and i went for the third option don't bother talking to him and shove him out of the way and so i can't believe i went for it but i went for the third option and i just got my hands and on his chest because we were right next to each other anyway when he shoulder barged me and i got shot and i just pushed him back didn't punch him didn't strike him you know it was like flat palms Placed him in his chest and then just shoved him, shoved him hard, because he was he was a relatively overweight guy, you know, the kind of guy overweight, old, maybe a little bit at risk of coronavirus illness, and I just shoved him as hard as I could, hard enough that he would stumble backwards and I could get past, and his wife was next to him, his sixty-year-old wife, and as soon as I shoved him, she started screaming, like screaming, screaming. Get off my husband and everything like that. And like, oh my God, what is going on here? And now, of course, if anyone sees what's going on, they'll see me on my own with a backwards baseball cap, shoving a 60-year-old guy with his wife losing it and screaming. And okay, he started it. He started he started everything. He started the aggression. He started the whole incident. And now she's screaming at me to get off. And so I saw my gap and I legged it upstairs as fast as I could. Didn't look back, ran to the car. Got the keys, fumbled them into the front seat, turned to my son and went, we're getting out of here pronto, mate. And we floored it like 50 miles an hour through the car park, getting out so that I didn't see them again. My face is probably up now, or at least my mask covered face in that shopping centre. Do not serve this guy. Imagine if a police officer had seen that. They'd be banged up for rights, man. So anyway, going back to the subject, um, my buddy asked me at... Um, New Year's. My buddy James, who's been on the podcast a couple of times, he was like, um, he's got some money to invest. Should he invest it in... He doesn't really get the whole advantage play thing. He doesn't want to... There's a lot of people that it's just like, they're not interested. They'd rather bet for fun. And that's totally fine. But he's never going to sort of make that leap where he makes money advantage play betting. But one of the things he wanted to do was cryptocurrencies. So he asked me my advice. So I have a small amount of cryptocurrencies. I have like, well, about, when would it have been? Maybe two or three years ago? So what year are we in now? 2021. So let's say 1919. Let's not be too outrageous. But I think it could have been uh, 2018. 1919. Let's say 2019. How do I get the date up on this thing? So let's just go middle of 2019. I bought £700 worth of cryptocurrencies 
uh, Bitcoin specifically. And um, in 2019, Bitcoin was just a little bit less than $10,000 a coin. And it peaked at $60,000 a coin. So my 700 at the peak would have turned into 4200 pounds. So not bad. I mean, certainly not retirement money, but a decent level of investment there. The issue is I can't remember the password for my cryptocurrency wallet. And I understand from what I've read, if I've forgotten it and not taken note of it, which I have, I am likely never going to get access to that wallet. And I, I wrote it off a long time ago. And if Bitcoin goes to a million dollars and uh, I would have that's now $70,000 pounds or whatever, I'm not going to worry about it because I can't do anything about it, because they, I didn't write it down. It was like a random series of letters. And I don't know what was going on in my head. I think I had it saved somewhere and then I lost the phone and then the, the password save was gone or whatever. It's not important. It's because it's not important because it's out of my control. That slightly annoyed me. I've always thought I should get another one, but I, I, I don't really know why. It, it harps back to the, the Brexit vote, okay? They asked us if we wanted to leave a single um, trading market, right? So we're all part of a common trading market and they have a referendum and ask the public to vote on whether it's more beneficial if we stay or leave. How can anyone understand the economy, economics of that? Anyone. You know what I mean? No one can. Like, okay, economists can and people who probably study and spend their entire careers surrounded by it, but the common person, like me, cannot understand that. So why am I getting to vote yes or no? I don't know. I'm not intelligent enough it's sort of the same with cryptocurrency it's like I, I can't possibly predict if bitcoin's going to go up or down now a lot of people um especially poker players took a little bit of a gamble in the past and they said you know i uh make a lot of money i've got a lot of spare money stocks traditional stocks and shares for investing money doesn't seem to be uh, as appealing i'm going to put it in um in Bitcoin. And a lot of them put it in Bitcoin pretty early. Now, 2016, which is a lot different to 2019. If we just rewind the clock back to 2016 and have a look at that graph. And at that point, crypto uh, Bitcoin was $400. So now it's multiplied by 100, right? So let's say you won £20,000 in a poker tournament and you put half of that in a cryptocurrency in 2016. Well, that 10,000 is now multiplied by 100. You've got 100,000 sitting there. And a lot of people have seen this kind of crazy growth with, like that. And out of nowhere, there's become a lot of uh, cryptocurrency um, consultants and promoters because since 2016, all they've seen really is the price go up. Now, there was a little bit of a crash. It got to 14,000 in 2018, and then it went down to 4,000. But through 2020 and the start of 2021, it, um, it grew from that 4,000 all the way up to $60,000 on the 12th of April 2020. And it was actually on um, uh, New Year's Eve when my buddy was around, um, 31st of December 2020, when he talked to me about investing in Bitcoin and I talked him out of it. I didn't I, I didn't talk him out of it. I said, look, I can help you if you want. I know how to do it and we can do it tonight. I just, it's not something I'm actively looking to do. It's not something that I can say, how noisy is your motorbike? 
he's deliberately tweaked his engine like that. I hate people that do that with cars. It's a pet, it's an absolute pet peeve of mine. Deliberately tuning the engine to have that. <laughs> it's noise pollution. You know what I mean? He's, he's half a mile away, I can still hear him. Anyway, he ordered the bar, and I said, I'm not going to put you off. But I wouldn't do it myself. But I'll help you if you want. And then we had a load of beers. Went in the hot tub. Uh, <laughs> yeah, me and my mate James. Hot tub. New Year's Eve. What are you going to do about it? Uh, and um, we didn't buy any, which was more alcohol-related than anything like that. And then it went from 7000 to 60000 So he could have multiplied his money by 10 And so it's obviously, with, with, with hindsight, it's like, well, I wish what I, I'd invested. Um, but here's the issue. Okay, so Elon Musk is a man who is firmly in control of the price of Bitcoin. And he goes on Saturday Night Live recently, and everyone's expecting him to plug Bitcoin, Dogecoin, these cryptocurrencies, because he has said that Tesla has invested a lot of money in them, he has said that you can buy Teslas with them. He's given some legitimacy to them. And everyone thinks that Elon Musk is this um, proponent of the ideal future. And um, there is a lot of benefits that I can see of cryptocurrency. I hate the fact that I need to deal with the banks and all of the issues around them locking accounts and frauds and everything like that when I transfer my buddy money. I'd much rather transfer my buddy money and nobody knew about it. It was completely anonymous. There are obviously a lot of... Um, uh, drawbacks to that in terms of the world of fraud but for people that are not invested in fraud there are a lot of benefits so um, people were hoping that Musk was going to go on Saturday Night Live and he was going to sort of promote it and say it was a good thing and it was going to be a new dawn of cryptocurrency and a lot of people were buying up Dogecoin and Bit uh, Bitcoin just beforehand and so the very first thing he does is he's got this opening monologue with his mother and um um, she says, I hope you got me a Mother's Day present. And he goes, yes, I do. And she goes, uh, I just hope it's not Dogecoin. And he goes, yes, it is. Like that. And so they're joking about it. He's like, oh, they are. he is going to talk about it. But they get to a segment where it's like um, he's playing a fake financial, um, financial advisor. And he is on the segment with uh, a SNL comedian who says, uh, thank you, Michael. And Elon Musk goes, you mean the Doge father? Uh, okay, Doge father. So our viewers are aware, what are cryptocurrencies? And Musk goes, well, they are a type of digital currency, but instead of being controlled by a centralized government, they are decentralized using blockchain technology. And lately, prices have been soaring for currencies like Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Dogecoin. So the SNL community says, so what is Dogecoin? Well, it started as a digital meme, but now it's taken off in a very real way. Okay, okay. So what is Dogecoin? It was created in 2013 and has a circulating supply of 130 million coins. Ah, so what is Dogecoin? It's a digital currency. Okay, okay. So here's an example. Here's a real dollar. It's real, yeah? And Musk says, yeah. So he asks, so what is Dogecoin? Well, it's about as real as that dollar. Listen, if I were to diversify my portfolio, my question would be, what is Dogecoin? And Musk says, it's the future of currency. I get that. But what is Dogecoin? It's a cryptocurrency you can trade for conventional money. Oh, the SNL comedian says. So it's a hustle. Yes, says Elon Musk. It's a hustle. And with those four words, 
that signified financial pain for tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of cryptocurrency investors. Um, Bitcoin crashed from a high of 60,000 all the way down to recent prices of 34,915. If you'd put 100 pounds into Bitcoin just before Elon Musk went on to um, Saturday Night Live, you'd have 50 pounds now. Even worse if you had Dogecoin. Dogecoin, um, 64 cents before Elon Musk is on the program. And it's almost trading at an all-time low, 33 cents. Again, actually, it's not just as worse. It's just pretty much the same. It's halved in price. And halving in price is still okay if you got in when Dogecoin was a cent at the beginning of the year. You've still multiplied your money by 40. But it's scary that you even could multiply your money by 40 in the first place. Because now everybody is scrambling around looking for the next big opportunity. Uh, having Bitcoin at 30,000 is fine. But even in 2018, it was 20,000. So if you bought at 20,000 there, it's taken three years, you've multiplied your money by maybe two. I mean, in any other stocks and shares investing, that's pretty good. Uh, it's not hugely life-changing. And all the people that um, are proponents of how amazing it is, I think there's some short-term viewpoints going on. All they're doing is seeing it rising, and they've been in it long enough where they've definitely seen our rise and they're saying it's going to continue rising forever. It can't continue rising forever. It may well crash to near zero at some point. And so the only thing you should be doing with cryptocurrency is investing money that's play money that you'd be willing to lose. The same as maybe a bankroll for golf or football or anything like that. Take a bankroll and throw it at, uh, at cryptocurrency with a difference that in the sports... You kind of can prove that you've got an edge. You cannot prove that you've got an edge in cryptocurrency. It's not possible. In fact, to me, on any particular day, it is exactly 50-50 if it's going to go up or down in the next day, in the next week, in the next month, in the next year, in the next 10 years. It could crash to zero. It's very real possibility of that. So don't have your life savings in there. If anyone has and has been hurt by these recent um, um, Musk appearances on Saturday Night Live, I've got a lot of sympathy but also, you've got too much of your life role invested in there and have to ha have a serious think about, one, the diversity of where and how you're investing money, and two, the confidence with which you think the prices are going to change. Nobody knows what's going to happen with cryptocurrencies. Anyone that pretends to be an expert and is posting up graphs of what happened in 2018, which was, you know, uh, a, a slight crash and then an increase, and they say, well, that's obviously going to happen again. There's no, no you, you are, you're using way too much recency bias there. And yeah, three years is recency in the, in the world of stock shares, uh, Forex and cryptocurrencies. So just be very careful. Um, and my advice to anyone would be the same as my buddy. I, I'm not doing it myself. I could do it if I could be bothered, but I've lost my password. But I'm not itching to do it because there's no proven edge anywhere. And someone like Elon Musk could very easily... Maybe not exactly him, but somebody else manipulate the market in their own favor. What's coming up in the sports world in the next few weeks?
Well, it was the Europa League final um, a couple of days ago on Wednesday night. I'll tell you what, Sevilla love a Europa League final, don't they? Wow. Um, And it's the Champions League final tomorrow night. I'm not going to be around for it. I'm going camping. It's a traditional weekend at the end of May. Going camping. See my buddies um, over in Gower in in Wales. Um, So I'm going to miss the Champions League final. I don't believe there's ever much any value in it. It's the one game of the year where it's just shaped to within an inch of its life by the smart people. With big finals, there is a theory that uh, bet, uh, trading or betting the under uh, at the beginning of the day uh, tends to be the value uh, because people, the theory goes, overestimate the probability of action. They want action to happen, World Cup finals, Euro finals... Champions League finals, Europa League finals, FA Cup finals, uh, and they te- they tend to be way more tentative affairs than people think. That's the theory, anyway. So it's like stick your thousand pounds up over two point five early morning, and then trade out closer to kickoff, and you should hope that the price comes down. Well, I was looking at the Europas since uh, two thousand two thousand and one, which was Liverpool five Deportivo Alava Alava Deportivo. So Spanish team four. Um, it's only been under 2.5 goals, one, two, three, four, five times since 2000. So the other 15 times, it's been like five, four, three, two, three, two, three, one, four, nil, two, 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 one, two, one. There's only been one nil, nil. Sevilla Benfica. Uh, Sevilla love a Europa League final. Sevilla, 2013, Sevilla nil. Benfica nil. 2014, Sevilla three. Dnipro, Dnipropovitsk. To, uh, 2015, Sevilla 3, Liverpool 1. Uh, 2019, Sevilla, they love uh, Europa League final. 2005, Sevilla 4, Middlesbrough 0. 2006, Sevilla 2, Espanyol 2. Anyway, I'm just going to bet Sevilla to be in the Europa League final every year. Um, so, there just seems to be quite a lot of high scores in the Europa League final. It did finish 1-1. I did bet the over. I talked myself out of the under. I saw the under edge at the beginning of the day. Looked at the historical scores, went for the over. Taught myself out of uh, some profit there. Champions League final seems a little bit more cagey last few years. Bayern won, Paris Saint-Germain nil. Almost nothing happened in that game last year. Liverpool two, Spurs nil the year before. Oh, yeah, I didn't realise that. So we've two out of um, three years we've had an all-English final. Um, the, the years that Rail in it tend to have um, tend to have goals. Rail four, Atletico one. Rail four... Uh, Juventus won as well. Rail 3, Liverpool won. They like a 4-1 or a 3-1. Um, but generally, there's been a lot more under 2.5 games. Uh, how many in the last few years? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 since 2007 have finished um, under 2.5 goals. Slightly more than half. Um, so yeah, m- maybe there's... Uh, you did have a few years back in the late seventies. It was one nil, one nil, one nil, one nil, one nil, one nil, one all, one nil, nil nil. Like ten years in a row, there was about ten goals in ten years. Certainly seems to be more attacking now. I'm not itching to play any market in it. I'm not itching to play anything from the game center because it's so liquid. We lose, we lose an edge with so many eyes on it. I'm not looking at first goal scorer teams. I'm not looking at match odds. I'm just going to ignore it. In fact, I, I was saying, double delight, Hattrick Kevin. Way more interested in the championship Brentford uh, match than I am the Champions League final. Um, 
So that is coming up um, tomorrow, and then we've got a couple of weeks off, and then the Euro 2020s do start one year late in the middle of June. 11th of June, I think. Um, uh, Scotland, England. Um, it's going to be very interesting. Now, that should provide us with plenty of new edges. Um I don't quite think the penalty payback edge, which is the only edge I've really seen where you could get a risk-free six figures out of a single match, is going to rear its ugly head. But as with all of these tournaments and all of these things, it's a case of playing it by ear. I have started collecting all of the coupons for all of the the different shops, what they're offering. And yeah, we will, um, I think, next week start a concerted effort at checking out what's available, what's around, and what the possible angles are for the Euros. In the meantime... There's golf on every single week and there's horse racing on every single day. Uh, and in terms of volume, you cannot beat the horse racing, that's for sure. Okay, thank you for listening. Enjoy your bank holiday weekend. And if you can't be good, please be safe.